So first, just a, a little side point, and then I think we'll get to the, the meat and potatoes of, of the scriptures that we have. First, the, the side point. So Jesus uh, tells us about this judge, right? And he calls him a dishonest judge in the end, which if we're listening, uh, then that means that we should pay attention because if Jesus calls someone a dishonest judge or dishonest anyone, that means he's saying that this person is, is displeasing to God, right? So if someone is dishonest, God is, is truth. Truth itself is, is God. Uh, and um, so that means if someone is untruthful, if they're dishonest, that means they're displeasing to God, um, which maybe is, is the first question that, or first thing we should notice is that it's possible for us to be displeasing to God, unpleasing to God. Uh, and if that's the case that Jesus is pointing out someone in his parable or in the scriptures who are displeasing or unpleasing to God, then we want to find out what their characteristics are like probably and, and do the opposite so that we can be pleasing to God in everything that we do, right? That's, that's what we exist for is for like he made us and we want to be pleasing to him in return. We know that he loves us all regardless of whether we're pleasing to him or displeasing. But we also know that our behaviors uh, have an effect on him uh, that it affects the way that he looks upon us. So this, this dishonest judge, uh, it says that he neither feared God nor respected any human being. What, is, what does this mean, that he didn't fear God? Well, it means that he didn't keep the commandments. So this is, I think, a good question, right? Do you keep the commandments? Do you have a fear of God? Because if you don't, if you don't keep all the commandments that, that the Lord gives to us, then that means you fit more into the category of the dishonest judge than you do into one who is pleasing to God. And, and so like, we gotta, okay, if I don't follow the commandments, I, I want to be pleasing to God, and so I'm gonna start following them. The second thing is he didn't respect any human being. So Jesus isn't talking about like respecting a person's status, right? Like, like I, would, I would respect a wealthy person more than I would respect someone who's poor. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, he's talking about the opposite. That, that something that we believe as Christians is that every human person, every person that exists is made in the image and likeness of God. And so every person has value in the eyes of God. And this is Jesus saying the judge didn't respect any human being. That means he didn't see that people had value. He just... I don't know what he saw, but he didn't see this. He didn't see that they had dignity, that they had value. And so now for a, a, another reflection question for us, right? Do I, do I recognize that every human person I come in contact with has value in the eyes of God and so is worthy of my respect? Even people that I disagree with, even people that I don't like, people that irritate me, do I show them at least respect? Simply because they have value in God's eyes. And this is like, when we, for us as Catholics, when we talk about like the pro-life cause, we're not just talking about like stopping abortion. That is certainly a big part of it. But the pro-life cause goes beyond that. It's, it, it's beyond like, how are we treating the person sitting in front of us or standing in front of us? If we're not treating them like they have value in God's eyes, then we're missing something and we fit more into the category of the dishonest judge than we do into the category of someone who is pleasing to God. So I think that's just something really good for us. These are two, like I said, they're side points, maybe really long side points, but, but nonetheless, like really good things for us to, to figure out. Okay, so now we'll jump into the rest of the parable. So th this question, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have to find ourselves sort of stuck, stuck, because what, what does Jesus say? Pay attention to what the dishonest judge says. Will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones who call out to him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily. 
I, like I said, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to find ourselves stuck. Because, I mean, I, I guess I don't know about you, but I know that I pray for things all the time that don't happen. I, like, people, I see people in the world who experience injustice all the time. Presumably calling out to God for help and not getting it. I, I know people uh, who have been very sick, cancer, other diseases, and they, they pray for healing and they don't receive it. These are people who have faith in Jesus. Other people who have broken relationships in their lives and they pray for healing and it doesn't come. Maybe some of you have like started praying for shorter homilies. They just don't come week after week, right? What the heck? Right, so we have to find ourselves in this place where we're just like stuck. Like, I don't understand, Jesus. It says, you say, it's not just that the Bible says, it's, you, it's, it's, it's quoting you. <laughs> It says that you will see that justice is done speedily, and yet I see all kinds of places in life where it just seems like justice doesn't come. It's like, what are we supposed to do with that? I think, I think a big part, or maybe the key part, comes in the very next line, how our, our gospel ends, right? So this is it's kind of, it's at the end of the parable, right? It's not a new paragraph. It's at the end of Jesus telling this parable about the necessity for us to pray always without becoming weary. Uh, what does he say? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, what, what does this mean? Well, this is something that every Christian believes, whether we're Catholic, Protestant, non-denominational, what, whatever, whatever flavor of Christianity uh, someone believes, this is something that, that we, we all have to believe unless we simply don't believe in the Bible, which is a separate issue altogether. But the Bible is very clear about this, okay? So we, we know this. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, right? He was born, uh, and then he lived his life for about 33 years, and then he was crucified. He died, was buried, right? It's the creed that we profess every week. After three days, he rose from the dead, uh, and then he spent 40 days with his disciples, appearing to them, uh, continuing to encourage them. We don't, he doesn't actually give us a lot of dialogue about what that looked like, but nonetheless, we know that he was with them for about 40 days, and on the 40th day, he's with them, and he ascends into heaven. He just kind of starts floating up into heaven and eventually disappears. But before he did this, he said, this is what's going to happen. And then, after a period of time, he didn't say how long, after a period of time, I'm going to come back for a second time. And when I come, I'm going to come in my kingly glory. And I'm going to judge everyone, everyone who has lived and everyone who is living. So what we say when we say he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Right? Again, part of our creed. And, and ultimately, what, what Paul is saying here to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by the, his appearance in his kingly power. Right? So, okay, so he's going to come. Uh, and, and when he comes, he's asking this question, will he find faith on earth? Why is he asking this question? Because what else he teaches or other things that he teaches is that those who are faithful to him, that is to say, those who receive his words, who keep his commandments and keep follow his ways, those who have real faith in him are going to then be taken by him into what he calls a new heaven and a new earth. What we say in modern day language, heaven. Right? Those who are faithful to the Lord Jesus, keeping his commandments and following his ways, will live with him in heaven. How long is heaven? Heaven is forever. Right? Many of you have seen me. I brought in this really long rope where we have just our little part of life and the rest is eternity. This is something that we believe as Christians, that, that 
if we are faithful to the Lord Jesus, we will live with him forever in heaven. And if we are unfaithful to the Lord Jesus, if we don't keep his commandments and if we don't follow his ways, we will live forever apart from him in torment and terror. Right? So now imagine you're a person who has real faith in Jesus. And so now you're living forever and ever and ever. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't, like it just goes on and on and on forever in heaven and glory and majesty with Jesus. And you look back on your life, this tiny little part of your existence. And you think about all that you encountered in your life, maybe injustice. You think of the joys, sure, but think of the suffering, the injustice that, that you experienced or that you saw. And the times that you cried out for help and it seemed like it wasn't answered. But now, in glory, in heaven, there is no more suffering. There is no more death. There's no sadness. But instead, it's, it's all joy and majesty and, and glory with Jesus. What are your thoughts going to be when you look back at this? Oh, that passed so quickly. It went so speedily. This is what Jesus is getting at. He says he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily. And many of us, like, we don't, have, we don't necessarily have to wait to get to heaven to experience the, the quickness of life. Many of us experience this. I, I'm, I'm still quite young, right? But, but nonetheless, I recognize this, that as, as I've gotten a little bit older, that it seems like time just kind of goes by a lot quicker. Like, oh, wow, that year it seemed like it just passed right by. And I know that for many of our maybe more experienced people here, uh, older people, that I hear this all the time, right? Like, where did the last 70 years go? It seems like they just flew by. And I'm thinking, like, that's twice my life still. But, right? Like, but nonetheless, we, we experience this, how life just seems, like, time seems to go faster and faster as we approach eternity. And once we enter into eternity, it's going to go even faster. So, so what does that mean? Like, when, when Jesus is saying he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily, well, he's ultimately talking about the final judgment. He's ultimately talking about, like, eternity forever. As though he's saying, look, I understand that, that many of you, all of you for that matter, go through various times and trials of suffering in your lives. Some of you go through serious times of suffering. Some of you go through less serious times of suffering and anything in between. But nonetheless, those who remain faithful to me, those who have real faith in me, trusting that what I'm teaching you and preaching to you is real, then you will find that in the end, you're going to experience nothing but my justice. And my justice is the fulfillment of my promises to you. That any sacrifice you have to make, it's all going to be worth it in the end. And I was thinking about this. Like, think about, think about in February, the team that wins the Super Bowl, whoever it is. Think of all the, all the training that they had to go through. Not just like this, this season, but leading up to this point in their lives. All the training they had to go through. All the times where they had to eat healthy instead of eating junk food. All the times where they had to wake up early for practice. All the times where they maybe had to say no to some other thing so that they could remain focused on the game, right? They go through all these kinds of things, right? And, and in the end, they win the Super Bowl. They're, the, they're part of the best football team in the world this year. And you ask them, imagine asking them, was it all worth it? They just like laugh at you. Of course it's worth it, right? Like, I, I'm at the high point of being a football player. I, there's, there's, nowhere, there's nowhere further for me to go. I can't get any higher than this. Right? How much more for us when we're talking about something that is far more valuable than just holding on to a little trophy and being recognized for a few minutes? How much more where, where our trophy is living in eternity 
and becoming as much like God as we possibly can be. You ask somebody in heaven, think back of all the suffering that you endured in this life, and yet you were faithful to the Lord. Was it worth it? They just laugh at you. Of course it's worth it. I can't imagine anything being more worth it than this because the trade-off from becoming like God for going through a little bit of suffering in this life, even though in this life it might seem like a lot, in terms of eternity, it's just a little bit. So of course it's worth it. Absolutely. And this is, this is something, you guys, that St. That Paul just totally understood. We've been hearing from Paul to Timothy for the last uh, three weeks. And we'll hear from him again one more, one more time this, this month, next weekend. Uh, he's been writing to Timothy, and he's writing as a prisoner for Christ, right? He's literally in prison because of his belief in Jesus. He says this uh, at, the, at the, the first reading we heard two weeks ago. He says to this, um, So do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake. But bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. Right? Paul understands this. He's like, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. And yet, what is he? He's not shrinking back. Instead, he's telling Timothy, do not be ashamed of this. What did he say last week? He says, um, Such is my gospel for which I am suffering. Jesus Christ uh, raised from the dead. Such is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of chains, like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I bear with everything for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus together with eternal glory. Paul understands this. He's he's like saying, "I I don't care how much I have to suffer for this. Because I know that Jesus Christ, the one in whom I put all of my faith, I surrender my entire life in him and to him. I know that he outlasts suffering. I know that he outlasts death. He has conquered death and suffering. And so for me to believe in him and to surrender my life to him, I know that if I have to go through suffering, when I have to go through suffering in this life, I know that because I've clung to him, He's actually going to lead me through all of that to a place where there is no more suffering. Because where he is, suffering dies. Where he is, death itself dies. And so I can can look suffering and trials in the eyes and I can laugh. Because I know that they can't touch me. Even if right now, I know that it's incredibly difficult. Even if right now, I know that it feels like I'm in hell. I know that because I'm clinging to Jesus, following his commandments and following his ways, because I'm clinging to that, he is going to lead me out of this place that seems like hell and into eternal glory. If we have died with him, we too will rise with him. If we persevere to the end, we too will reign with him in glory. That's what he's getting at. And this is something, brothers and sisters, that we have to remember because it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us when we're going through suffering and trials to forget because this is what the devil wants us to do is forget. His name is Satan, which means accuser. He comes to us in unseen ways, and he accuses God of not being good. He accuses God of not being someone who's going to fulfill his promises in us. 
And if we believe his accusations, we begin to doubt God's goodness. We begin to doubt whether it's really going to be worth it in the end. If we're, if we're doubting that, then we start to say, maybe I don't need to do this. Maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe it's not real. And if it's not real, then of course I'm going to, I'm going to grumble. I'm going to complain. If it's not real, of course, I'm just going to keep running to comfort after comfort after comfort. If it's not real, of course, I'm just going to start saying, I think I can figure this out for myself. You see what the enemy tries to do to us so that he keeps us from following the commandments of Jesus. He keeps us from clinging to Jesus. And if we're not clinging to Jesus, brothers and sisters, then it's true. We will never actually get out of the hell of our suffering. Because he can't lead us through it into glory if we're not clinging to him. And so what we need to do is we need to ask the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, to do what Jesus says he's going to do, which is to teach us and to remind us of all that Jesus did and taught. This is our last question. Do you have a regular habit in your life as a faithful Christian of asking God, the Holy Spirit, to do nothing more than simply remind you of heaven all the time? Do you have that habit, that daily habit of saying, Holy Spirit, come into my life and increase my faith. Holy Spirit, come into my life and remind me of the goodness of God the Father and of the promises that Jesus, his Son, has made to me. Come, Holy Spirit, into my life in a fresh way. So I'll never forget, I'll never doubt God's goodness. But instead, I will cling ever more closely to Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, so that as I feel like I'm going through this time of crucifixion, Jesus, I can cling to you and you can bring me into glory.